There is an entity that permeates every aspect of our existence. Into every moment of history, it is altogether real, certain, constant. Yet, you can't see it, hear it, touch it, and tangible, but we feel it, the way it radiates out into the pulse of our daily lives. Its impact is everywhere. It shows up in physics, the amount of energy transferred over a unit of time. It's revealed in the incandescence of the light, electrical current moving from source to ball. It's demonstrated at the sporting event, when an athlete sends a ball crashing through a net. But it also wields its authority elsewhere, in the advances of armies as they pursue conquest. It fuels the verdicts of rulers, governments, and courts as they seek to make a way of life normal in society. It's unleashed in the storm of revolution, layered in the rhetoric of tyrants who assert their will over others. Its abuse fuels the cries of the marginalized, spurring on both protests and rebellions. It is wielded by all, from the rich and powerful to a small child taking their first step. It has the capacity to take objects, people, ideas, concepts, beliefs, ethics, and history from here to there. Its name is power. Power, defined as capacity or ability. When we act in power, we make a difference. We make a change. Entangled in every area of life, power goes by many names. Authority, control, force, strength, rule, energy, influence, leadership. Power crashes into every sphere of our life, reminding us of what we already know, that power is unavoidable. So that begs the question, what are we to make of power? How should we think of it? In what ways are we designed to wield it? Should we? We've seen the good that has been done by our ability to act, the progress and advancement that has come about because of the exercise of power. But we equally know that for its unlimited potential to create order, beauty, and growth. The possibilities of its dark side are just as vivid. The same power found in nuclear reactors, a power that's stable, efficient, and capable of sustaining life for many, provides the fuel of nuclear warheads that decimate cities and eradicates all living things. For all these reasons and more, our relationship with power must be examined and explored. Does it exist to be freely unleashed in a visceral demonstration of our control, our rights, our desires, our raw power? Is the end game to vanquish others in a pursuit of authority, dominance, and greatness? Or is power intended for something else entirely? A gift given by an all-powerful creator a generative and sustaining ability we possess to bring order, beauty, thriving, and life to the world? Which vision of power will move us from here to there? Hey, good morning, everyone. How's it going? Yeah, right on. Uh, I think we should start passing out popcorn the next several weeks of the series, uh, just saying. Uh, yes. All right. Uh, well, hey, my name is Steve. If we've never met before, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, I get to help out with Give It Away, which is how we share the story and message of Jesus to our community and to our world. If we've never met, we'd love to meet with you. I'll be hanging out in the cafe afterwards. 
But today, like Kevin said, we're in part two of a series on power. And I think I draw, I drew the short stick because uh, I got to talk on authority. And so that's going to be awesome. So I'll ask how you're doing in about 30 minutes, uh, see if anything changes. But um, uh, it is a good one, okay? It's a good one. It's a good topic to, uh, to think through. And so uh, with this series, what we're trying to do is uh, think through power, okay? Think through it biblically, um, theologically, with, which, by the way, that term the- theologically what I'm only saying is that uh, we're talking about God's stuff, okay? Theology is the, I'm going to use the word theology um, more in this, in this message today, so I'm just going to define it for you real quick. Theology is like theo, which is God, and ology, which is the study of. So that's all it means, the study of God, okay? Uh, fancy ways of saying things. So there you go. Uh, thinking power biblically, theologically, and hopefully contextually and practically, okay? So that's what we're doing, and we're going to get in the Word right away, okay? So... If you have the Bible with you, please uh, grab one. There's Bibles underneath your chairs as well. Uh, You guys have smartphones probably, so you can go there that way. We're going to be in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Okay, so as you're going there, um, Colossians, it's a letter from an apostle named Paul written from a prison in Rome to a church in Colossae, hence the name Colossians, okay? Okay. Paul, he is uh, this guy, he's using ink and papyrus again to write a letter to this church, um, and he's trying to address some things. He's trying to address bad theology or wrong thinking in the church, such as putting more emphasis uh, in worshiping and following things other than primarily Jesus and Jesus' authority. And so that's kind of what you see in this book, in this letter. And so that's why we'll get into Colossians 1. Chapter, chapter 1, verse 15. I'm just going to have the place there. I'm just going to use my Bible. Um, two of you are going to care about this, but I forgot my NIV Bible, which is what we have under the chairs. I'm using NIV, ESV. So if that cares for anybody, then there you go. But hey, it's all the words, so here we go. Verse 15, check this out. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray again here. Jesus, thank you for this letter that has been preserved to us. Thank you for this word. God, I just pray for the rest of our time together that we would take a good look at your word here. God, that we would be Uh, true and responsive to it, to the things that you have said uh, and preserved for us in this word. God, uh, it's one that can be very challenging, and it's one that can be very life-giving as well. And so I just pray that you help us with that during our time today. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to start off uh, by giving you something of like a half a dozen questions to ponder through in your own headspace, okay? So about half a dozen rhetorical questions that I would love for you to kind of think through. Um, think about 
also what is actually what is actually true of how you actually live your life, okay, and how you actually think. So that's what I'm getting at when you uh, when you're looking at these questions, okay. So we're gonna go through them a little bit slowly, and if you need an activity out of it, if you have pen and paper, write down some of your responses, okay. So number one, what or who has ultimate authority over your life, okay, over your life, over your thinking life, over how you go about your life, the things you think through, the things that you do, who or what has ultimate authority in that? Who is the author of your life? Who's writing your story? Who is the author of your life? Who is writing your story? Is it you? Is it something else? What, who, or who is it? Who or what are you submitting your life to? Who or what are you submitting your life to? Is this authority, this author, the same for everyone? Is it just for you, or is it actually for everybody? And then what ramifications do your answers to these questions have on your life, your actual life, and or the life of others? Does it have any ramifications, the way you answer this question? And then lastly, have you ever even thought about any of this? And do you even care? Okay, probably the most important question. Do you even care about any of this? Have you thought about any of this before? Pondered actually who is the authority in your life? Who are you giving ultimate authority over as you make decisions, as you think, as you live, and all those things? These are important questions, and I think I saw someone take pictures already. Feel free, take a picture. Uh, we're going to keep referring back to this. I'll bring it back up again, but uh, a picture would be a good thing, um, because I want you to take intentional time processing, uh, especially as we consider the topic of authority, because the thing is that we are all under some kind of authority and various types of authority in our life, whether we like it or not, and probably most of us are also in positions of authority to some degree or another. So the way that you honestly answer these questions could be deeply insightful in how we go about our life, how we respond to authority, and how we even carry out authority as well. And so, let's just lay down a little definition, okay? So, dictionary.com, okay? Reliable source. What's authority? It's this. It's the power to determine to... Uh, <laughs> someone say that word for me again. You guys are great. Adjudicate. There we go. Uh, I kept having trouble with that one. Thank you. Uh, or otherwise settle issues or disputes, okay? It means to have jurisdiction. It's the right to control, to command, to determine, okay? And so that is the definition that we're talking about. That's what we're talking about, in a sense, when we're talking about authority. So when you're thinking about those questions, now we have a little bit of a definition to go with it. And I don't know why, I think it's so funny. This is elementary level stuff here, right? Okay, so I'm not trying to question your intelligence here. I just think it's important to lay down a definition of what authority is, okay? And of course, there's other definitions as well. You can read those. But with those definitions in mind, think about your questions again. Think about those questions again. Who? What? Who has authority? Ultimate authority over your life. All right. Now, I also want to point out very, several different types of authority, okay? Depending on your Google search, you might find three different types of authority. You might find up to 18 different types of authority. But for our purposes, I want to check out and look at um, a very popular view of like who has authority, okay? It's this guy, Max Weber. He's a German sociologist, and he says that there are, he says that there are three types of authority, okay? So I just stole a screenshot of this little graph thing, and here it is. He says that there's traditional authority, 
Okay? So the source of power is legitimized by long-standing custom. What's the leadership style? It's like a historic personality. Some examples are patriarchy, traditional uh, positions of authority, royal families with no political power, but social influence. Okay, we're gonna make sure that doesn't keep happening, okay? Maybe I just need to twist some things. Cool, perfect, it's all better. All right, here's a definition from University of Minnesota. It's power that is rooted, power that is rooted in tradition or longstanding beliefs and practices of a society. It exists and is assigned to particular individuals because of that society's customs and traditions. Okay, what are we talking about? This is like kind of like Israel and the church. It's like followers of Jesus. So those that follow Jesus, those that like Israel and the church, there's this passed down authority given to you that you didn't necessarily earn or even deserve, but by association, by like spiritual bloodline, you now have this kind of societal authority, this power and authority, okay? And then you've got the second one that he says, charismatic, okay? So it's based on leaders, a leader's personal qualities. It's a dynamic personality. Uh, uh, This guy would say that it's people like Napoleon, Jesus, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., etc. Okay? And so the way that they define this is that it stems from an individual's extraordinary personal qualities and from that individual's hold over followers because of these qualities. Such charismatic individuals may exercise authority over a whole society or only a specific group within a larger society. Okay, so this guy, he's kind of just clumping in Jesus with other historical activists that would be charismatic leaders or authorities. It's those leaders that kind of stuck out in history, made movements happen, that moved people toward actions and ideals. Okay, so he would say that. And then lastly, he would say that there's legal rational authority. This authority resides in the office, not in the person. Uh, Personality type is a bureaucratic official. Um, This is like U.S. presidency, Congress, modern British parliament, stuff like that. And the definition is this. If traditional authority derives from custom and tradition, rational legal authority derives from law and is based on a belief in the legitimacy of a society's laws and rules and in the right of leaders to act under these rules to make decisions and set policy. Okay, so what is this? This is our government. It's like the police force. It's the overall justice system in America, things like that. A speed sign, a law, taxes, things like that, that we could either choose to follow or not, but there would be consequences from that system in place for those that would disobey, right? So with our questions in mind, in these, this one way of thinking in mind, is there a type of authority that we would respond to more? Is there a type of authority that we would respond to positively or negatively? Is there a type of authority maybe we put too much authority into, too much allegiance into? What I'm getting at is this, that perhaps one of the problems that we have is that we can easily compartmentalize uh, authority, okay? We might look at our church life and say, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord over that part of my life, and then we might go vote, and then there's a different authority entirely attached to that. We compartmentalize. We might look at who's in leadership, whether a president or otherwise, maybe it's a spiritual leader or authority or whatever else, and we would have a different view entirely of authority, depending on what category of life we are processing through. And I think what Paul is getting at here in this letter is saying, he's saying to the Colossians that it's that, no, 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 (laughs) Jesus pervades all areas and types of authority, okay? It's not compartmentalized. Okay? He's not just Lord of like your church life, 
He's Lord of, Lord of all parts of our life. In fact, we're told that he often has instilled authority, that he is even still oversight, having oversight over that. So Jesus is the true authority over any social system, over any authority that exists. This is kind of like elementary level stuff, right? Okay. And so again, I'm not trying to question your intelligence here. I'm just saying, this is what Paul is saying. Let's get back to this idea that Jesus is Lord over all these things. So we have to ask ourselves, because what could happen is that for those that follow Jesus, this should be um, something that's elementary level. We understand. We're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I largely probably agree that Jesus is or should be the Lord of uh, my life, my way of thinking, what, all of that, right? But does he really? <laughs> does he really have that access? Is he really the authority in your life? We have to be honest on this. It's one thing to believe something to be true, to read this text and say, yeah, that's true, I believe that. It's another thing entirely to act on that belief with our real, actual lives. Okay, we all have a problem with authority. But why? Simply because it exists? Maybe. (laughs) And how do you know if you have a problem with authority? Well, for starters, you have a problem with authority if you're someone right now hearing that you have a problem with authority and you're thinking, who's this guy on the stage to tell me I have a problem with authority, okay? Case in point, that, that might be you. You might be the one who's like, I saw that speed sign and I'm going to totally pass it, right? I have a problem with authority, right? Those kind of things. We all have a problem with authority. Our problem with authority, it usually stems back to, or it could stem back to our upbringing. Okay, think about that for a second. Maybe your parents, maybe they were domineering. Maybe they drove you to obedience through, your, through fear and through aggression. Uh, that could result in later authority issues. Uh, maybe your family had for themselves authority issues. And although they brought you up well enough, They always spoke or acted in certain unfavorable ways to authority. And of course, that would definitely speak to how you view and interact with authority. Or maybe uh, you were abused by somebody in authority, right? All these things can cause problems with our view and interaction with authority and the power that inevitably comes with it. Uh, Think about this. Just drive down the road, some of these back roads, uh, even from our own church or maybe even your own neighborhood, Uh, You'll see a slew of problems with authority. You'll read signs and flags that I couldn't possibly speak out to you guys in this nice church here, right? Um, Things that uh, you don't need to know sign language on uh, how to interpret it, right? And so what is that? That's a problem, a sort of problem with authority. Uh, Personal example, like as a pastor, (laughs) I get the privilege to meet with and counsel different people over different things. And uh, I get to counsel many people through what can honestly sometimes become a lack of concern for biblical authority, or at least a very deep distress over it. We agree with the idea and concept that Jesus is being or is Lord of our life, ultimate authority and author of it, at least until we hear a pastor speak directly to our living situation. Who am I to interrupt whatever you want to do, sex before, whatever it is, sex before marriage or something else, who am I to interrupt that for the sake of biblical authority? So what do we do? We find another spiritual authority that might view God's word a little bit more charitably. It's just one example. Uh, We enjoy the police when they're carrying out their authority in ways that we expect and decide is good and just. Uh, We enjoy government authority when it's the person that sides with the things that we like, right? And I'm not saying that there's not abuses in authority. There definitely, no doubt, is. There's humans involved, after all. But the real problem might be this. Here's what I think the real problem is. The real problem we have with authority is that we probably, more honestly, think that we are the ones that should have ultimate authority. 
and we'll side with the ones who agree with our thing, with what we think is authority, what we think is right and good. We will be the judge of that. And that can get in the way of some stuff. Well, we can get to this truth really quickly by seeing if we still respect Jesus' authority when we inevitably disagree with him. If you have never disagreed with Jesus, by the way, keep reading your Bible. Uh, It's bound to happen, okay? It happens for me. (laughs) It could happen for you. Speaking of the Bible, we should probably get back to it. Uh, We should probably get back to the scriptures. Go back over this uh, Colossians kind of uh, verse by verse here um, right now for our conversation, but also just as a general principle and practice. I think through uh, defining authority is cool. Thinking about different types of authority could be helpful. Talking about our problem with authority, that's all good. But we constantly need reminded of and pointed back to the word, to the creator of all things, to Jesus, to his authority. So let's go back. So, oh yeah, more context. I always forget about this. I give you more context for the letter, okay? So in Colossians, if you're going back to Colossians, this section is actually specifically, um, it is thought to be a popular poem or hymn, which is interesting, and it was a poem or hymn to glorify Jesus and his humanity and his deity, like a statement of truth and reality. And so Paul is using that to kind of counter, counter these like Gnostic thinkers that were seeping into the church, okay? These are people that were conforming to this idea called Gnosticism, which you've never heard of that before. It's this, this guy Barclay, he says it's more or less, it means the intellectual ones. These people were dissatisfied with what they considered the unrefined simplicity of Christianity and wanted to turn it into a philosophy and to align it with the other philosophies which were popular at that time. Maybe this sounds familiar. We try to do this with a lot of hot-button issues of our day today. And and there's a lot more context we can go over in uh, Colossians, but basically to sum it up, like Paul is trying to, what he's trying to do here is get the church back to theological realities, proper thinking about who Jesus is and that he is Lord over all things and all people, okay? So verse 15, the Son is Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, He is the firstborn over all creation. Okay, so there's a Greek word in here. It's called icon, which is what image is, okay? So this in the Greek is called icon. That's a Greek word. And that's important to know maybe because it's actually, uh, to define it better, it's an exact representation of something, okay? Not Not just simply an image of, okay, a mere image. It's an exact representation and therefore a direct manifestation of God himself. So what am I saying? Saying that he's, Paul is saying that Jesus is somebody not, who is God, okay? He's not just an image, he is the image, but he's the icon. He is the exact representation. He is the direct manifestation of God, distinct from God, but is also God himself. And then he talks about firstborn, which is another Greek word which I won't even try to pronounce. You're welcome. And so all it means is highest special honor. Okay, it's talking less about like kind of birth position and birthright. Psalm 89, 27 says that he will be made into the firstborn of all kings and of all rulers. And so this would have been recognized as Messiah language, of king language, the, the, the person that the Jewish people were looking for to come. This is less to do with physical birth, but with spiritual position and authority in his birth. Okay, so he's just honing it in, saying, Jesus all authority, firstborn over all kings and rulers. So this means that of any traditional authority that might exist, Jesus is well above it. God has granted it this way. All creation is under his jurisdiction, under the authority of Jesus. 
This is why Jesus is able to calm the storms. This is why God's people can part the seas and cast out demons, not by their own authority, but because God gave them authorization to use his authority and his power. Verse 16, for in him all things were created. What things? Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, through Jesus, and for him, for Jesus. Okay, so if it was created, then there's a creator, except for the one who has created all things. Paul is saying to the, the church in Colossae, he's saying that your authority isn't to be in yourself. It's not to be in these angels that you're worshiping. It's not to be in your rabbis of the day or the intermediaries of your day. Jesus holds that ultimate authority. There is no other higher power that has been granted. It's been granted to Jesus, the image of God. So everything he made does and should declare his name and his glory. It's all for him. Can you see it? Jesus has authority over it. Is it something you can't see? Jesus has authority over that as well. Now, good question that could be proposed for this. If Jesus has authority over all things, created heaven and earth, visible and invisible, then is his authority over everyone whether they believe this or not, whether they believe in Jesus or not. Well, you might need encouragement to focus on this next part for a second. It could get a little heady, okay? I'm not trying to, but it might. Um, so here's an example that I'm going to try to give you. Uh, it's an argument from literature that I found on Reddit, a very reliable source, okay? And so it was a, it was a thing going on there. If you don't know what Reddit is, then uh, you're welcome. It's fine. Don't even look it up. But uh, it was about who holds ultimate meaning and authority on a written work, okay? So you have a written work, you have literature. Who has ultimate authority over that written work, over the meaning of that work, over the interpretation, right? Is it the author that has, uh, you know, all authority for that? Or is it the reader, okay? So if it's the author that has the keys to the meaning, then is it the reader's job to find the author's meaning? And is that the most responsible and sensible way of reading literature? If interpretation is up to the reader, then does anything go? Can there be multiple interpretations of the same thing? Can there be multiple authorities on a single written work that could have drastically different conclusions? To put it another way, maybe a practical example I can think of is this. Have you ever met like a diehard Harry Potter fan or like Star Wars fan? Like the ones that are like, the books are nothing else, right? And uh, you meet these people and they inevitably find out that you've not read the books, you've only watched the movies. And then they have like an audible gasp and then a rant to go with it about how the movie is like not sufficient and how they interpreted some things differently. And that, yes, okay. So there's two nerds in here that know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Uh, if that example doesn't do it for you, I'm sorry. But it's kind of like that, okay? Start asking people if they like Harry Potter or something. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that when it comes to literature, unless we have been given the freedom from the author to contract our own meaning and thus become our own authority on the written work, then we must responsibly seek after and adhere to the meaning of the author. Okay, that's all that to answer the question, is Jesus' authority for everyone, for all things, for things that are visible and invisible, things in heaven and on earth? And I think the Christian worldview is, well, yeah, that's what Paul's saying. The theological statement of those that follow Jesus is that, yes, whether you believe or not, these things are true and objective for, for everyone. Uh, and that's not a popular teaching. And that is a teaching that we need to wield with care if we're a follower of Jesus as well. 
Speaking of unpopular teachings, it goes on to talk about uh, thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities as well, and that all of those things as well have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. What could this possibly mean? Romans 13 and other places tell us that this means that any position of power or of authority, political or otherwise, is under Jesus' jurisdiction as well. That's just true. You see, he's layering on here that Jesus has authority over everything, every system. So the most logical response we can have then is to submit to our president, to our laws, to our authorities, leaders, parents, guardians, and so on. We should follow the rules set out for us. We should respect the people in power. We should love and honor authority. We should obey and be kind. And I know this brings up a ton of questions, concerns, uh, what if case scenarios, and so on. There are countless examples. I just want to say there's countless examples in the Old Testament of faithful men and women of God living respectfully in and among the political and authority systems of their time. We just saw that example in our last series. We went over the life of Daniel, okay? And so what did he do? He was super respectful of the authorities and the powers, yet he was 100% resolute on prioritizing God above anything else, okay? And so if there was something that was in authority telling me to do one thing and it was not, it was against God, then he's like, well, respectfully, I have to do what God says. And so we can both honor the places in authority yet live 100% true to the creator of everything, It might be hard work, it might take a lot of patience and self-control and energy, and it might hurt, but it can be done. If it can be done in ancient Egypt, then it can be done today. So that's what he's saying here. Verse 17, he'll go on to continue to layer this idea that Jesus, he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. So not only has all things been created in Jesus through him and for him, But Jesus is also holding all these things together as well. Without Jesus, then, there would be chaos and disorder. And some of you, if you're thinking like I am and if you're cynical like me, if that's true, then why is everything always in chaos and disorder, it seems like, in the world? It's like, Jesus, have you not seen your news app in a while? Like, the world is not great all the time. There is chaos and disorder, but you're telling me that you are holding all things together. And I think that's a fair argument. I think that's a fair question to ask. A fair question to pray to Jesus about, honestly. But think about it. If Jesus is fully, truly alive and well, seated at the right hand of God, then he surely is still holding things together. Not everything is all bad all the time. There's a lot of beauty and good in our broken world, both in creation and in the humans that inhabit it. Sure, there's bad authority, but there is good authority in the world as well. I wouldn't want to imagine a world completely void of Jesus holding it all together. I sure wouldn't want the, what the Bible would say is the, the powers and principalities of this world to have full authority over it, which we'll actually talk about that more in the last uh, of the series, uh, teaching the series here. So it might feel that way, though, that things are in order, in uh, disorder and chaos, but in reality, Paul is encouraging us that things could be a lot worse. Jesus is actually holding all this together. He loves it. Verse 18, and he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So, talking about the church. And this isn't speculation because we've seen it a ton, and the Bible has its own examples, but 
churches die because they forget that Jesus is the head of it. Anything else in the church is powerless. It lacks authority without the recognition of Jesus' supreme authority with his supremacy. For sure, we have leaders in, in positions and authority, and I think we should, so that we can continue creating shalom and order and spiritual oversight and shepherding of God's people. However, church leadership is not the head of the church. It can't be. That is reserved for Jesus and his authority. Odds are that you have been hurt by the church. Odds are you've been hurt by leadership in the church. What are we to do? Throw it all out? I think we're called to respect and honor leadership in our church in as much as they are appropriately likewise submitting to the head of the church, just like with any other authority. And Jesus will take that away if that's not happening. This also means that we don't need intermediaries between God and man. There's no pastor, there's no pope, or anything like that to put your full value, identity, trust, and allegiance into. None of that. Respectfully submit to authority as much as possible while together submitting to Jesus' ultimate authority. Okay, and then we get this interesting part here of like Jesus being the firstborn from among the dead. This is another installation of Jesus' authority, okay? Jesus has ultimate authority over sin and death. He has, in fact, defeated sin and death. And I've heard this kind of notion before. I've heard people uh, despise even the idea of submitting to Jesus and being in a place eternally with him and wanting the exact opposite. And what Paul, I think, would say is that's kind of ridiculous when you realize that Jesus has authority over all places and all spaces. He has supremacy over all things, over everything. Praise God that he does. Sin and death is not the end. In verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So a good question here would be, what is Jesus doing with all of his authority? Okay, he has all this authority. What is he doing with that authority? He's reconciling people back to himself, back to God. Legit, he loves you so much, both those that would disregard his authority and those that would submit to it that he would die so that you could be reconciled to your creator, to the one who has authority over all things and have a right relationship with him. And if you've gotten this far in the reading of the scripture and you haven't realized yet that Jesus and his ways can be or should be the answer to your life practically, realistically, actually, then I would just plead with you to consider that. Consider that. Could Jesus be the one? Consider these things. And consider these things not just with your mind, but with your heart and your whole body. See, it's not enough just to know the right answer, to say, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, he's the right answer, okay? It has to go from your head to your heart. It has to go from idea and feeling to you actually doing something with that, with that to leading you towards action. It's not enough to know that all this is true, that Jesus is the ultimate authority, but what are you doing about it? What are you doing with his authority, with that authority? He has all authority, and yet he's not going to force it onto you to agree with him. It actually doesn't matter if you agree or not. He has all authority. So what does he want then? He wants your love. Like a father whose son went astray, he longs for you to return to him. He would do anything for you, and he did. He died for you. He used all that authority to draw you closer to God and to himself. He's holding things together, and it's inviting you into it. 
Who would do that for you if they didn't love you and desire genuine love for you? His authority is worth submitting to. All other authority inevitably will fail you and probably has failed you. At this point, I'm going to invite the band up. I want to provide uh, quite a few, actually, um, thoughts, more thoughts, and uh, practicality around a couple different things. So I want us to think two ways here. How do we yield to authority, and how do we wield authority, okay? So yielding to authority. This one's going to require a bit of homework. Uh, I don't think there's anything that I can say, like no one-liner at the end of a message when the band and others are waiting for me to get off the stage, right? That's going to help you yield to authority. That's going to take some work. That's going to take uh, maybe you taking a picture of those things that don't even, they're not even up here anymore, <laughs> those, those questions that I had. Hopefully you took a picture of those, right? Uh, this might take you looking at that, praying every day about what is actually true of your life. When you make decisions in your life, when you go about living your life, this will help you consider and maybe reconsider your view of authority, what authority you're actually submitting to, and how to therefore yield to authority in light of the teaching and reality of Jesus. And if that list is too long, simply just ask yourself, so seriously pray through those questions, but I also want you to ask yourself this, who gets to determine blank thing? We all have issues and topics in our mind that we wrestle with daily or that culture wants us to wrestle with daily, right? Who has ultimate authority over that? Who is, who gets to determine those things, okay? Are we ultimately submitting to traditional authority, charismatic authority of different types? What is it? What has sway in your theology, in your decision-making? Is it our news apps? Is it pressure from family, from workplace, from society, from groups that we're in? So here's a couple for you, okay? Name your hot-button issue or philosophies of our day. Who gets to determine the definition of marriage? Who, who gets to determine that? Who gets to determine murder versus human right, sex and sexuality? Who and how you will love or not? Who or how you will forgive somebody or not? Who gets to determine who goes to heaven and hell? These things that we bring up and topics that we can talk, right? You get the point. So a big reminder on this is that the one who has authority, ultimate authority on these issues, is also the one who has modeled for us how to walk with others in kindness and gentleness on these issues as well. I think we forget that sometimes. Okay, so yielding. What about wielding authority, okay? We've all been given some kind of authority, whether in a secular or spiritual context, whether we are using it for uh, something godly or not. If you're a parent, you have some kind of influence. It may not feel like it, but you do. You have some authority, okay? If you have some followers on social media, okay? You have some kind of weird authority there, right? Whatever it is, your workplace, your friend group, you probably have some authority, okay? What authority are you wielding? Whose authority are you wielding? And how are you wielding Jesus's authority if you're a follower of Jesus? Well, if you heard me preach before, this is like my dramatic conclusion to everything I have to say. It's this. I think to wield authority means that we should love God, love others, and make disciples, it's Matthew 22. It's Matthew 28. What authority are we supposed to be yielding? It's this, the great commandments. Wield authority by loving God, by loving others, by making disciples, okay? That's what Jesus said. He says, if you remember Matthew 28, it says, Jesus has all authority, therefore, anybody know? Go make disciples, right? Go help people that don't know Jesus. Come to know Jesus with a ton of kindness, with a ton of grace, relationally, intentionally, not shouting it out, lording it over people, saying, I have authority, therefore you must believe. That doesn't work. Love others as an outpouring of your love for God and the, God, the love that God has for you. 
and then you'll make disciples and you'll wield Jesus' authority well. For that reason, I think there's a follow-up thing here, to wield authority. I think if I'm honest, I have a pretty big bias here, okay? I'm a pastor and I like to teach and I think theology is cool and all that stuff. I get it. But I think to wield authority, we just need more training. We need more biblical training. We need more theological training. We need practical training. So that as we train in the Bible, as we know our Bible more, as we know about God more and how he views things, that we'll actually do something practical with those things, okay? Honestly, I think we get a bit of criticism at our church because we don't typically like full blast engage in all of the uh, cultural conversations going around us, at least not from the stage. And I think some of that is fair, but there are just so many issues to deal with and so many things that could potentially lead us away from the authority of Jesus if we aren't careful when we elevate things too high over Christ. Uh, We have to ask ourselves, what authority are we wielding? Are we wielding social constructs or cultural movements, or are we wielding biblical and theological truths and practices? We can easily raise some issues above others and get so into anthropology, helping people, that we start to omit theology, what God has to say about it. Likewise, some of us are way too much into theology and different theological constructs, and we put so much authority into those things that we like forget a Jesus-centered theology, and we become out of touch with reality. If I totally lost you with all those ology things, just here's what I'm saying. I think the way of Jesus is more nuanced, deeper than raising the banner of any kind of hot-button issue. Think of whatever it is. Pro-choice, women's rights, abortion, same-sex marriage. Name whatever thing, okay? We can disproportionately raise those banners up. Equally, though, as disciples of Jesus, we need to figure out how to teach, how to reach lost people with these issues, biblically, theologically, practically. Because a lot of those things are good things to fight for, but we have to be mindful that a lot of these constructs are just half uh, truths of biblical authority. We have to be mindful about putting ourselves into strict social or even theological boxes. Maybe you're all about a particular topic, issue, or policy. Awesome. Let's be even more about a person, the person of Jesus, who has all authority, and the people that Jesus wants you to reach with that authority. He wants you to reach people with that authority. So as followers of Jesus, we wield the authority given to us, biblically and theologically. This includes living out the way Jesus modeled for us. Did Jesus just just give you authority to bash others for their view and shout about it? or to love them with as much biblical and theological empathy as we possibly can. I think that's the authority we're trying to to wield at Medina's campus, to teach the Bible and be as theologically and empathetically Jesus to others as much as we possibly can so that we can see others know Jesus, the one who has all authority, the one who holds all things together, the one who is making peace through his blood that he shed on the cross for you and invites you and me in to actively participate in on his loving authority. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you. Thank you, God, that you do have ultimate authority. Thank you, God, that you don't, um, yeah, that you, that, you, that you are even kind with it, and that you love us so much that you would use your ultimate authority to, 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 to honestly take the hit for us, to die for us, to defeat sin and death for us, so that even those that would despise you and hate your authority would come to know you and have freedom from themselves, their sin and death, and all these things, God. God, thank you. Thank you for that reality. Thank you for that firm, gentle reality that you, not only is everything made from you, by you, for you, 
but you are holding it all together, God. Thank you. Jesus, we, we struggle with authority. We struggle with the authority that um, I think you've instilled for us because uh, it, it's not always good. <laughs> Some of it's bad because we, we are humans. We're corrupt. We're, that happens. God, help us to think through how to live in such a way that honors you and your authority and respects other authority that's provided to us. God, I just pray for anyone here who hasn't put their full trust in your authority, God, to just surrender that to themselves even now, God, to relinquish authority that they have for themselves for your kind and gentle authority. God, would you do that work in and through us this week and today? And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.